Joining me this week, it's October. What does October mean? It means it's Sean's month of horror. So Sean Glynis is here. Sean, how you doing? Good. That's right. I'm ready to be educated. Yeah, this is this is good. We're we're here to educate. Although I don't know. I now I feel like the student has become the master at this point. But we're traditionalists around here. We're going to keep it going. We've got some things for him uh, coming up. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We just have to find like more creative ways to show him some weird shit so we're getting there we're getting there uh but yeah myros you're here too yes yes i'm here what wasn't the point of this format like you know we, we can each get like two weeks off in the month and everyone will be showing him something and now it's just like i don't know no one else is participating we're just like doubling <laughs> our workload <laughs> yes it's like, no it's uh it's jack's fault because he's got like actual life obligations currently so yeah you know. jake is a fucking kid and jack is uh, taking care of a family health crisis and yeah so the the theme of the month is instead of getting half the amount of work we now have double the amount of work because we watch mm-hmm. like twice as many movies as we usually yeah and I've, I've been saying this for years but if more people would emulate the adam myros lifestyle i think we'd be in a better place as a podcast uh Just- that's possible. I, I'd like to know where you're going with this. I mean, I wouldn't recommend many people to emulate the Adam Myros lifestyle, but you know. I mean, what, I, just minimal responsibilities, uh, live kind of a, an isolated, uh, almost Polanski-esque life, would you say? Yeah, I, I just wish I had that peer, that boom period so I could really just kind of embrace it and be good to go yeah. with, the, with the money. You know? <laughs> oh, wow. This time. But uh, yeah, in case you haven't figured it out, we're talking about Roman Polanski today. And uh, this yeah. kicks ass because, uh, well, I mean, one, we couldn't find a guest for this episode. How strange is that? Can you but believe that no one I, wants I, to talk about yeah, Roman Polanski? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I think honestly, the problem was that people were intimidated because they knew that uh, Myros was going to be on. And, and Myros is kind of known as like the number one Polanski fan, auto, oh, uh, like yeah. the Polanski biographer, just sort of like number mm. one on the fan club list. It's kind of like, how do you really come in and, and compete with that? Yeah, I mean, yeah. really, we, we just, I think there needs to be a historical reevaluation of the uh, behavior of the LA prosecutor. Uh, <laughs> Against back. Um, I, in all seriousness, uh, w- w- you know, this is this is one of those great separate the art from the artist that moments that that can be <laughs> difficult with some of this material. But uh, yeah, I, and none of us here are here to defend Roman Polanski as a human. And um, Wait, all these three films were happen happened be- before his uh, his his trial. Yes, these are all in the, in the before times. And this is I, when I he was a great person. <laughs> The easiest way to consider this is probably just to say that uh, every auteur from the like sixties through eighties that you you just like love and you think they have such a valuable voice, uh, probably all of them uh, have done equally horrible things. You, you're just not aware of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, but yeah. Again, yeah. This these are all these are all pre-trial. There's no pianist here, mostly because that's not really a, a horror movie, but. Well, neither's knife in the water, neither, but that didn't stop. Yeah, 
Oh, you don't consider the Holocaust horror. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could have picked the ninth gate, I guess, since the knife in the water is, is very, <laughs> very uh, speciously a, a horror film. Barely even a thriller. <laughs> Go so far as to say. Ninth in the water. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, selfishly, I just wanted to watch it again because I hadn't seen it in damn near, what, 15 years probably. Well, so. this is about me. And Knife in the Water is a classic. This is about yeah. your journey, too. And we want to support you on your journey, Sean. And when you came to us and you said, there's nothing more that I want to do with my life right now than immerse myself in Roman Polanski's work. Uh, we I, said, I, believe yeah, I, sure. said, I believe I said, there's nothing I want to do more than immerse myself in Roman Polanski's innocent era work. Mm, the innocent era. Yeah, that's, that's what people are calling it. Uh <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, to me, this is just the perfect choice to get into the season. I was like, boy, I really want to just immerse myself in this sort of Halloween feeling. And that, and the knife in the water really did that. It was just like, boy, fucking sailing. Say, I think the, the only thing that this inspires about Halloween is if you use like the titular knife to carve pumpkins, I guess. <laughs> it's a moody wow. picture. I mean, it rains. <laughs> uh, it does. It gets a little dark. It gets a little rainy. No. Uh, the oceans can be scary. It's a great, vast unknown. Uh, so, you know, there's that, I guess. Uh, yeah, not, not exactly a traditional horror movie, but that being said, it's, <laughs> like you said too, Myros, it's, it's not really a thriller in the traditional sense either. There's, there's this tension that you think at any point can boil over and it barely does by the time we get to the end. But mostly it's, uh, it's just a movie about two dudes trying to outdo each other. You know, you, you put a couple guys in a confined, isolated space, and we're going to see who the machoist boy is. And that's, that's what you get for about 90 minutes. Uh, I, I, will, I, I do want to say, before we get into the, like, the actual nuts and bolts of the movie, uh, the... the Stories of the production behind this are, it's just insane to me. Uh, it was a very difficult production. Polanski wanted to do something simple. So he's like, okay, three people on a boat, limited location. And, you, you know, we, we don't have to worry about it costing too much or anything like that. Uh, kept the script as simple as humanly possible. Uh, they went through and at, he wrote it in like two days and they just went through and they revised it. And they would just, you know, cut down every single line as much as possible. So it was barely any dialogue to worry about but then the problem is and i guess you don't think about this unless you've shot a feature length film on a tiny ass sailboat turns out that's not a great film set ideally if you want decent working conditions uh basically it's a functioning sailboat and it's really out in the water so you're sort of like you're where, whichever way the wind is blowing, guess what? That's the way that you're going. So uh, this created all kinds of issues because Polanski said, you know, he was used to shooting in, in cities and you have all these problems because the water is constantly moving and the sky is constantly changing. So imagine if every single shot of your feature length film was a, a huge continuity liability and that's the whole movie. And the way that it's shot is vast expanses of ocean and nothingness in sky. So it uh, seems like a real nightmare. Also, 
tiny sailboat. You don't have a lot of space. And Polanski hates shaky handheld cameras. <laughs> uh, he's talked about this at length. And uh, I think my favorite quote about this is he said that he hates handheld cameras because, quote, every time he sees someone use it, it makes him think the camera operator has Parkinson's or is jerking off. Mm. I hope ah, we didn't watch sensitive. Born, State born Supremacy. <laughs> uh, he, I, he specifically calls out like Lars von Trier, too. He's just like, fucking quit it. Your dog made nonsense. Well, uh, I'm kind of on his side on this one, but. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny to hear all of those challenges and think that this is like a debut film. Um, but I mean, this is like, you know, a new wave. The Polish film school is its own new wave period. And uh, this is kind of your textbook example of of like a, a director who has a ton of ideas about form and is just like kind of throwing it at the wall. And, um, I mean, I think in particular, just like the mise-en-scene in this film is, is quite tight and, and full of interesting ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's beautifully composed and just, I'm just looking at it, like every single shot is meticulously thought out and it's, mm -hmm. it's just gorgeous. Uh, but also to your point, there's a lot of ideas floating around in this movie and I'm, I'm not sure if some of them completely pan out. Right. Uh, and, and maybe you guys can help me with this one too, because it's entirely possible that I'm stupid and I'm fine. If you know, if, if I, if I didn't get something, it doesn't mean the film is failing. It could be me, but I, I kind of struggled a little bit with the way that Polanski sets up these two guys. So you have being the basis of the story is you've got this successful, uh, rich, older guy who, is rich because he's a fucking like writer for a newspaper. So what a beautiful era. The sports to be alive. writer. <laughs> sports writer. Yeah. The sporting news. It's a Mitch album. He's, he's wealthy, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this guy's basically, if, if Mitch, Mitch album was, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, maybe he is, I've never met him, but if he was just a complete controlling hyper masculine dickhead. And, uh, so he, him and his wife, they go out sailing. They run to this hitchhiker. The hitchhiker comes along, goes out of the sailboat with him. Now, opposite of our masculine, older sports writer man is this kid who's like 19, student, no money, just kind of hikes around, hitchhikes, whatever. And then you've got this competing macho contest going on between the two of them. And that's, I mean, that's the bulk of the movie. While uh, Christina, the, the wife of our sports writer guy, is sort of unofficially like this prop that's in between the two of them. And they're kind of like vying for her attention. Now the boy is sort of, I mean, not sort of, he's, he's like a Christ figure, right? So uh, to the point where there's like little connections you can make, like, Oh, there's this scene where he's kind of like walking on water. Cause he's hanging off the side of the, the boat, yada, yada. Uh, and he does towards the end, he has a, an apparent like literal like death and rebirth type thing because he fakes drowning mm -hmm. uh but at one point polanski has this very striking shot where the the guy is he's literally in a christ pose laying out on the deck of the sailboat mm -hmm. with this halo of rope around his head and i just for me it, it i i didn't make the connection like i i didn't see how 
his characters sort of fit in that mold. And and for me, that was a great example of Polanski kind of throwing things out there that maybe don't completely develop the way that he wants them to. Uh, it's it's strange. And the only thing I can think of is it, it sort of imbues it with this weird Catholic morality that it kind of justifies how it ends and, and makes him more heroic than he actually is. But I, I don't know. I, I, so I struggle with that. Yeah. I, I, you got to think of it, Steve, like, uh, what if Christ had a knife, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's I a think, cool switchblade. I think a lot of it is, you know, it relates to the relationship between the communist party in, in Poland, et cetera, et cetera. But the, this sort of like, idea of christ as this sort of wanderer who rejects material gains and, and things of that nature i think it's kind of like the economic teachings of christ and he's kind of rebuking this older man as as christ would cast out the the sellers the pharisees in the temple you know as as having essentially sold out and given up on their principles and uh yeah, I, I I mean there is a lot of it that doesn't make sense. This is not a particularly noble figure, this young younger character, but um I don't know. I, I to me that that's kind of where I'd have to lean in on the the Christ thing is is if you looked at it as Yeah, a character who is quintessentially youthful and I, I guess in many ways Christ fits that sort of mold where his, his teachings 33 are <laughs> less so less so in age and more so in, in sort of ethos where he's, he's not corrupted by the world. He's incorruptible. Well, and also trying to, uh, shake up a world that is constructed by older men. Yeah. Well, and mm-hmm. <laughs> it's interesting too, that at the end, Christina, when she's kind of rebuking, the the boy she's telling him that oh you know my husband used to be like you and then you know he he had he had to live like you and i i know exactly what she went through and now he's where he's at because he he worked hard for it or you know <laughs> uh and it's i don't know it's it is it is i i can see what you're saying there with it you know being kind of a, a rebuke of the the lifestyle that this this older guy is working I just want to know where do I sign up for my sports writing job where I can afford a yacht? When does this happen? Is this like he's he's got to be like the Polish Bill Simmons? You got to like pen your Tuesdays with Maury and you'll be all set. Yeah, that's true. Just start hanging out with old men. I don't fucking know. What the <laughs> hell is that book about? <laughs> well, fine, that's exactly. I, I don't know. He's dying. Yes, <laughs> I saw Mitch Albom speak earlier this year. And he I will never say at gunpoint. (laughs) How the fuck did he came into a conference that I was at and was paid thousands of dollars to literally walk in a room, say something he said hundreds of times, and leave uh, an hour later? Yeah, he's probably like, Hey, I told you about the five people you'll meet in heaven, but I'm the one person you'll meet at this conference. Please buy my books. I mean, uh, ideally, that this is a hub for networking, Steve. I'd hope he's not just the one person you'd meet at the conference, but um, <laughs> you should aim for at least five. I would think. I showed him. Uh, yeah, I, I showed. I, I showed him actually uh, on his way out the the one knuckle sandwich he he met at the conference. Oh, 
That's right. I, yeah, I, again, I think a lot of it is there's this, especially early on in the film, there is a distinct sort of through line of private ownership and this idea that this man seems to be living above the means, presumably set in, in a more, you know, communist led government. Uh, whereas it's, you know, there, the kid, really is kind of hammering on this point like oh you don't see cars like this like it, it, it it's not like i think this guy mm-hmm. is a a one percenter or something with his sports writing gig i it's just that I, I think the implication is kind of like is he collaborating you know is he is this guy crooked what's the deal mm-hmm. and it, yeah it's like a middle class i mean the thing with this type of it almost has like a uh not almost it it does have a similarity to like a play um in that it has minimal moving parts besides the boat that's moving um and it you know so it just has this triangle of people and each of them kind of can stand for various things and it's just kind of about this um this mechanism moving uh you don't have like a whole milieu that you're trying to to portray and uh various you know, uh, connected worlds and neighborhoods and yada, yada. Um, so again, like it just kind of has like this, this young man's, um, movie feel of, of trying to, uh, trying to create a film that is, uh, it's easy to rein in, you know, this isn't like a, a mature man's film that is trying to like capture a world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I gotta say that. So, it, like I mentioned before, this is if you haven't seen it, it is a, a macho back and forth contest. But but most of it is all it's it's very slight, and even from the jump, I've seen people take umbrage with the fact that they even pick up the hitchhiker in the first place because he's standing in the middle of the road. And they almost run him over. And then it's just like, all right, well, get in the car. We're going to drive you somewhere. Then why don't you get on my fucking boat? But it seems like it's just another one of these challenges. Like, it's almost like the fact that he was standing in in the middle of the road and the car almost skidded off the road. Like that in and of itself was a a challenge to this guy's, you know, masculinity or or the kind of macho persona that he's created. And so you watch these things go back and forth. Uh, But I got to say. My favorite touch in the entire movie is, one, the fact that in Poland in the 1960s, you had to worry about someone stealing your windshield wipers. And two, the final, like, ultimate emasculation is when (laughs) this rich guy thinks that he has accidentally killed the boy and he's, you know, drowned in, in the water. And then he comes back and it's like, oh, yeah, and his his fucking windshield wipers are stolen. Just incredible shit. Just, just the final, just cherry on top of the emasculation Sunday. Absolutely love that. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's to your point, shot. Like I, I think you can really tell that this is a young man's film, and and it's it's a little like messy at points, but always in ways that are intriguing. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad I revisited this one because I don't think when I watched it 15 years ago, it really hit for me. I just thought it sort of dragged, but I was a little more tuned into it this time. 
I liked it. I definitely like it. Um, I think it it has a certain control that's impressive and um, and tension that builds throughout. Um, and like I said, even jokingly early, like I think there is a mood to this. Like when it's raining, it is kind of just like there's a certain <clears throat> comfort to to uh, the mood he's he's striking. And and uh, you know there are many worse debuts. Yeah. And it, the, the restraint really is admirable, too, because yeah. there's a thousand variations on this movie that fall into the exploitation category. And it would have been very easy for him to just kind of hit the cheat code and ratchet up tension that way. But instead, he really lets it slowly kind of build and bubble over. Yeah, I, I it's a surprisingly nuanced and subtle film from a director who I don't always think it operates in, in that mode. I, I think we'll see when we no. move on to the next one. There's not a lot of ambiguity as to the symbolism he, he employs at times. Um, but yeah, this, this is, is definitely that it's got some really nice flourishes. I, I love the scene with the, uh, boxing match that he's listening to on the radio. I think it's quite fantastic. And the ending is great as well, but, uh, I don't know. Maybe I should, I, I really love these these people you apparently are listening to online whose whose criticism of the movie is that they shouldn't have picked up the hitchhiker. It's like you're you're watching a film here. What what would you have happen? Just let's let's just fucking I, I, call I it the ten minute mark. I'm, no, I'm just saying like it it seems it, it seems like kind of a contrivance if you don't think of it as like a challenge to his masculinity. Well, I, that, I that's I'm called just, narrative, Steve. It's hey, a series of contrivances. I'm 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 going back through. I was reading uh, old old reviews from when it came out, and uh, apparently some critics really took umbrage with the fact that they were spending any time with this kid at all. It was it was a, a bridge too far. So well, fortunately, these critics uh, from the old times probably made a a very good upper class living with, uh, with such uh, great criticism as uh, why did they pick up the hitchhiker? Yeah, uh, that's how you get that yacht eighty thousand dollars. <laughs> yep, that's how you do it. That's how you make the big bucks? Uh, yeah, you know it. It is funny too because the subtlety on display here, and then as we move into repulsion, the, the next Polanski that we watched. Uh, it's like the least movie, subtle movie ever made. The least subtle movie ever made. Yeah, I think that's the headline, right? Like, hey, it's uh, a movie that starts with an eyeball and ends with an eyeball and the whole thing is basically what you see is what you get and <laughs> anything anything you think is like some sort of like subtle no there's no subtlety here it's it's all just blunt smack you over the head shit uh but also it's really good so i guess kudos to him for figuring that out uh but yeah uh sh shit repulsion's amazing another one that i haven't watched in shit over a decade i think we probably watched it back when we lived together in kalamazoo myros and uh it's just another strikingly beautiful movie and a great example of how polanski would kind of continue to develop this mood in shit a lot of his movies if you go into rosemary's baby the tenant later where you're just kind of into these confined claustrophobic spaces. And he, uh, I don't know, he really had a knack for mining that for just creating unease and tension. So, yeah. 
Uh, Sean, this is your first time with Repulsion, huh? Yeah, it was. <clears throat> Why you ask? Well, I'd be interested in uh, how you took it because it's <laughs> just it's a big dog. Like this is one of the like yeah, formative it, uh, thriller films. I feel like yeah, um, <clears throat> it reminded me of uh, Mario Bava's The Girl Who Knew Too Much, I believe, and I was also thinking of Hitchcock's Frenzy, uh, which came later. But um, uh, I wasn't expecting this. I, I didn't know Polanski had like this British phase. I don't know if cul-de-sac is also mm-hmm. British, but um, so that's a, that's a, in the con column. But um, uh, I, I, I claustrophobic is a good word for it. Um, but it's funny cause we've been doing this like sort of October Sean introduction thing for, I don't know, at least five years or something. And um, mm-hmm. uh, probably more than that. And I have come to love uh, some so many of of the films and filmmakers that we've talked that I at first kind of was like, okay, like not totally on this wavelength. And then, you know, a couple years later go, you know what, I'm going to revisit this and really like dig it. And I I think Repulsion kind of, even though now I'm kind of like, uh, I feel like I'm at a level that I, not level, whatever that means, but I just like, I'm more, <laughs> more acquainted with so many different genres that I kind of like, don't really, uh, experience that as much, but watching repulsion, I was like, uh, I, it's a film that I think will benefit from me watching it and knowing what it is already. Um, and kind of like knowing the, the tenor of it and the pace of it. Um, because especially when something is so like claustrophobic and you get thrown into it and you might not be in the mood for that, it is kind of just like, uh, it can be a little overbearing. Um, but I, I I think this is, I I was very taken with it in this in similar ways that I was taken with knife in the water in terms of like his, his control and also his, um, uh, how did you say it, Steve? Um, the way that he, he, uh, it doesn't feel showy to me. It feels like somebody mm-hmm. who has like a, who has like a full deck of cards and is, is willing to kind of like um, go through it in a way that's methodical and in, in a way that you don't really expect from like new wave, like early new wave films. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and really interesting performance from Catherine Deneu, who I, also did not know was the star of this film, but she doesn't look as like beautiful as she did in contemporaneous films, uh, French films. Um, like this is, this isn't really a film about her beauty. Um, <laughs> no, not, <laughs> yeah. not exactly. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you though. I love that Polanski was out there making these new wave films, but instead of that kind of loose, rebellious style that they would employ it's he's obsessed with form and yeah. you know he he had a, a background before he started making even short films like he he was into photography and he is obsessed with composition and he the other thing i love about him too is he doesn't storyboard anything so he just has like all these images are just in his fucking head which is is crazy to me when you think of something that's just so meticulous uh you would assume that everything is mapped out to a T, but uh, no, it's, it's all up in his noggin. So uh, yeah, good for him. But I, I do think it's, it is funny that 
you know, however many years ago, five years ago, we started baptizing you in the, in the cool waters of sleaze and you've really sort of branched out from there. And I think you have a, a vast knowledge of, of genre films at this point. And Polanski is still kind of an outlier for you. Mm-hmm. And it's wild to me that you didn't watch all this shit when you were like 19. Like even right. Rosemary's Baby. I was with you the first time you watched yeah. Rosemary's Baby. You, you were sitting in my living room. And that was when I was sitting on your lap. Even. You were sitting <laughs> on my lap. You were on my lap. You were facing me. Okay? Yeah, I had you a were bottle. Watching, yeah, you were watching the, the movie over my shoulder. As you gyrated on my lap, and then Myros was was staring directly into my eyes from across the room. But yeah, I, I, that was like shit. What was that? Four that years was like ago? Twenty eighteen, I, I believe. Yeah, yeah, four years ago. Which is nuts. Like, in what universe does does Sean Glynis not know or had never seen Rosemary's Baby before? It blew my mind. But uh, yeah, I'm glad I got to experience that with you, and I'm I'm glad that we got to have that intimate moment. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's just kind of wild that it's it's taken this long to really get you into into more Polanski stuff well I'd, I'd also um, just this past probably I think August uh, if not September actually I don't remember but within the last like 45 days I had also rewatched um, uh, Chinatown and mm-hmm. for the first time since I was like 18 years old and that was really the only I think that was the only uh, Polanski I had seen uh, before Rosemary's Baby. I remember having, I remember buying a, a a tenant DVD from Meyer in Kalamazoo when I was a freshman, but never watched it. Um, <laughs> but I had only seen Chinatown until 2018, and I rewatched it. And um, I mean, it's it's fantastic. And um, you kind of now having seen these like first two films and. Um, and actually, I watched the one after this, but that we don't need to talk about that one. Or not cold to sack, but fearless vampire <laughs> fearless kills. Vampire killers. Um, yeah, but, you know, uh, if I do have one criticism of Polanski, only one, of course. Uh, it's got to be raped that kid. <laughs> I mean, well, I I was going to say he thinks he's funny, but I he's not. I mean, I, I mean, he really I, gave it a try. <laughs> I think that. Um, I think that there's, we can talk about comedy in the next film that we'll discuss, but um, I, what I was going to say is that Chinatown is a movie of like uh, confidence and luxurious pacing and control, mm-hmm. like visual control. And you really do see that in both of these two films, um, these, these first two, you, you really do see all of those things. He's, he always seems somebody who's confident and, um, uh, like the especially in the next one that we'll talk about the idea of the film like sort of the the film's nugget is is like he's never in a rush to to like broadcast that Mm -hmm. oh absolutely absolutely um myros what do you think of repulsion um you know i i maybe maybe it's impact on me as like a piece of art is is a little less than it was when i was much younger but i i do think it's it's a bit blunt in, in its way but it, it's <laughs> it's certainly a, a beautifully constructed film um but and it's impact that that's like what i'm watching it for now is that <laughs> most of the directors in the genre that i i love from especially the 80s i would say your your cronenbergs your lynches 
it, it's this film is everywhere in those works and it, it's not certainly like the first piece yeah. of cinema to deal with you know the horror of the body but it is one of the first that really integrates that into a primarily narrative film and yeah it, it, it's a hugely hugely impactful film one of uh, in my mind on a very short list of the most important horror films ever made but do I necessarily love watching it? Uh, right. No, not necessarily. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Yeah. No, I mean, this is, this is the, this is like if you've ever had a panic attack, this movie is, it, it's just that, essentially. Especially the, the sound design. Like, every single sound that you hear, like, just, just mundane shit, like street noises and, and bells and those busker guys and just the distant sound of, of like, telephones ringing and voices and all this shit it just drives you insane yeah and it's it really is it, it feels like a panic attack and just just having all of that in the background of this movie where uh you know a, a woman is completely for lack of a better term repulsed uh by the idea of of like male intimacy uh to the point where she's imagining just hands coming out of the wall and grabbing her and, and, and the apartment around her completely crumbling. You have all this uh, claustrophobia. Everything is physically just falling to pieces around her. And then the sound design is just basically taking your fucking skull off and punching you directly in the brain. It's pure panic and anxiety put to celluloid. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Not to mention just like this sheer uh, panic or like nightmare that it would be just to be surrounded by British people. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. This is disgusting uh, teeth. Yeah, this is. We talk about continuity in the last film. Like this is one where there are obvious cheats in this movie uh, if you're looking for them, but it does not matter. The way he distorts space in this apartment is yeah. just nothing short of. A masterful but again I, if there's one film that we watch among these and probably among his entire output as a filmmaker that that is almost impossible to in a very woody allen-esque way to separate uh from what you know about roman polanski this one gets a little sticky for me because <laughs> there's a clear <laughs> undercurrent of this trauma uh in in the film and it is kind of yucky <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about with the Woodman. You know, I just watched yeah, Mayhem last I. week. I didn't see any problems, but <laughs> I thought I watched Alan versus Pharaoh, and I thought Alan won. So I'm not really sure <laughs> where you're. I saw to. the judges' scorecard. Okay, I know, I know who the winner was. Um, yeah, no, th this one does get a little sticky, and the the like, it, just his gender politics that he plays with in Knife in the Water, and then going into Repulsion, and just how he explores gender roles and power dynamics and sexuality and then thinking about how he kind of i don't know uh, puts that on screen and then and then also thinking about what kind of person we would later find out he is and then yeah everything gets a little sticky but yeah there's this like intent in the film to make her very virginal and there's an ambiguity as to whether there is really any trauma being explored or whether it's it's more this sort of 
dysmorphia sort of thing, but uh, given any sort of context, it's hard not to read this as a movie about like a, a victim of, of, of some sort of assault and, and molestation. Um, and whether that was the intent or not, it's certainly how it reads to me now. And, and again, that's, that's difficult subject for someone of Roman Polanski's pedigree to, uh, to approach at this. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, uh, Polanski would, he would go on to make one final movie about people in an apartment building, uh, driving someone to the brink of insanity. And, uh, that would be the tenants. And Sean, my only question for you is, has anyone ever looked better in a dress than Roman Polanski? <laughs> uh, Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, that's true. You're right. You're right. I think, I think Polanski's biggest misstep here was, uh, like the shade of lipstick he was using just did not complement his skin tone. And that's a huge faux pas for me. So I just want to like, I want to understand this because this is immediately after Chinatown and he's like, I'm yeah. this this big fucking idea it's going to involve this very nuanced complex central performance i just had jack nicholson you know i, I could get any actor in the world i got the perfect guy for this role roman goddamn polanski wait so are you were, were you uh are you very critical of his performance i think it's okay i don't think okay. it's i don't think it's yeah. uh, as good as it it should be like i i feel like the right actor makes this movie like this movie is really in many ways evocative of of what is accomplished with the shining um and i think that there's a difference there there's a reason that the tenant is remembered by film snobs and the shining is remembered by every human on the fucking face of the earth and i think a lot of that has yeah. to do with the fact that there's a magnetic central performance uh depicting the decay i agree <laughs> yeah uh yeah. yeah no i i think that's that's uh well well said i i didn't have a problem but that doesn't mean it's like holy shit this is great um especially because he has to do a lot um, yeah mm -hmm. with that turn yeah yeah i think i think he's he is kind of pushing his own limits of his, of his abilities but it, it wasn't like distracting but i agree with myros that you know you probably could have done better I just think he wrote this movie and he's like, okay, well, it's about isolation and identity. And this guy's a French Polish Jew. Who's the best French Polish Jew I know? And he's like, that's me. <laughs> so, uh, and I don't know, but it, it, it I, I like this movie. And I just think that it, it really, this is, this is the Polanski movie that leans heaviest into that exploitation category that i think he he avoided for most of his career and, and like you said too myros coming off of chinatown where he could do literally anything he wanted it's interesting to me that he made something that really i mean it's it's the sleaziest thing he's he's done i would imagine as a filmmaker uh it's just it doesn't <laughs> it, it's just it's just kind of like an oddball movie to me and especially by the time you get to the ending and it, it, it kind of gets into hysterics and and becomes a little overbearing and, and you sort of realize that it is just a movie about this guy's downward spiral and there's not as much behind that as as maybe i wanted so it's just i don't know it's, well, it's good it just felt a little hollow to me go ahead sean sorry while uh i said repulsion is not about Catherine news beauty i do think this is about roman plansky's beauty 
Um, but um, I think this is th- this one. I thought this it's was like the, a Hobbit with a side part. <laughs> I thought this was the best of the three, uh, at least on one watch. But um, uh, it it uh, <laughs> kind of like Repulsion. I don't like watching it to be honest. <laughs> like, um, and I think a lot of that is aesthetically like. It's so ugly. This place is so hideous. There's nothing oh, Paris like... Paris has never looked worse. It looks like fucking Cleveland. It's yeah, horrible. it does. Yeah, and and like... It makes the idea of living there seem like a fucking hell. It's like, yeah. well, you can't even rent an apartment. And if you do, you have to walk a half mile to the bathroom, which doesn't have a shower. It's like, how does this yeah. even fucking work? And it's not like a moody, like, uh, autumnal thing. Like, it's like, it's, it is, it is repulsive, uh, an environment and everyone there has like the worst teeth you've ever seen and like horrible glasses actors in and, this one and hair. Yeah. Yeah. Just horrible British faces. Um, it, which is funny cause it's shot by uh Bergman's cinematographer is Fen Nyquist who does a great job, but like his, his he's not trying to make it look appealing. Um, it, it's and the times like, He's in Paris and you don't see the Eiffel Tower or any landmark until like, I don't know, like an hour and a half in. Um, you, you're barely outside. So it's like repulsion. It's very cloistered. Um, and, and I mean, it, to me, this feels like a redo of repulsion to me. Like, obviously, there are like different um, uh, plot things in this end or, or like the motivations and whatnot. But um but the basic like poles are there um, of this like slow descent. And uh, I I think that this one is really interesting about like keeping you trying to figure out like what the hell's going on and how everything adds up and who these people in his life mean. Um, And, and then like, you know, by the end, like you're still not sure there are certain like potential answers and there's like a ambiguity between like the material and the uh, um, the mental that uh, there's no like clear answer for. Um, But like, it's just so methodical and slow and it's not, it's not rushed at all to like figure out where it's going uh, or to have you figure out where it's going. Um, But I, but I do think that, yeah, Roman Polanski is not the best, best performer um but but i i think it's quite a good movie um am i gonna watch it anytime soon again no no Uh, it's uh another one where it's it's really like a knife twisting in your gut it's it's just so much anxiety inducing shit there's one scene where he is at a a woman acquaintance's apartment because he's getting all freaked out and there's a knock at the door and the way that like it Camera's like shooting through this distorted, like funhouse, fisheye uh, peephole, and it's just the most unnerving, gross shit. This disgusting old British man that you have to look at, and it really is. This is not a, a movie that it makes you feel good. And the way that he makes Paris look ugly is fantastic too. Opening credits. This is like the best tracking crane shot that you have ever seen in your entire life like you're just gonna marvel at these beautiful sweeping camera movements and it's a shot of the ugliest shit you've ever seen and every single interior wall because you're you're in this ugly ass apartment with roman polanski for probably like 80 percent of the movie 
and it's just covered in fucking filth. And there's even there's like a woman, I don't know what she is. She's like the front desk lady at this apartment. The concierge. Complex. The concierge, yeah. And my favorite thing is because the whole <laughs> thing is just disgusting. Just you get like caked in dirt. It's like it's gross as shit. And when she's going up to show him the apartment for the first time, as she's walking up the stairs, she's like wiping down the banister, which is caked in shit. It's just fucking gross, man. But uh, yeah, it's it's not an easy watch, to say the least. Yeah, I... That's before we even see Roman Polanski in a dress, which, you well, know, you don't yeah. know that's coming. That's that's an easy watch right there. Um, I, <laughs> I came to this movie... It was, I remember, associated largely with Barton Fink. Uh, so when I was, like, real young, you know, like 18, 19, uh, having seen Barton Fink and being, like, yeah, being very impressed by it, but not understanding it at all, <laughs> and just kind of being like, what the hell is this movie, and how do I decode it? Then, you know, some of the critical consensus would would lead you to the Tenant, which is, of course, certainly a much easier movie to parse in, in no fucking way whatsoever. But, um, yeah. So I saw this when I was quite young, and I don't think I had any idea what to make of it. But I, I don't know. I, I probably am going to go with Sean and say this is, is maybe the best of the three. Although it's hard to rate things ahead of, of Repulsion. But uh, just as, like a movie that I would care to revisit that, that really sparked a great deal of curiosity in me. Uh, this is one I, I, I feel like I would come back to because again, much, much like something like the shining, I feel like there's a, there's a lot going on underneath the surface of this film. Like I, I don't think I almost take umbrage with associating it. I, I, I feel like I associate it more with knife in the water than I do with repulsion mm. because it's uh I feel like there's a deep political, well uh, uh to this film i, I feel yeah, like it's, it's yeah. quite personal to polanski and his experience you know surviving nazi occupation and, and it very much it's it's quite easy to read it as a treatise on like right trying for an apolitical existence in, in a very fascistic environment and there are other political forces at play too i mean there's this scene that is just straight out bizarre that that feels almost like a, a critique of an opposing very american philosophy where he's hanging out with this friend of his at his uh, they they leave his apartment building because the fascists <laughs> are throwing him out and the guy is he puts on this music and it's like a fucking john it's, philip sousa like yeah. marching <laughs> band that he's blaring and i'm like it's like the it's, worst thing you would want to hang out with your friends and listen yeah to. you can't you can't read that as anything other than symbolism because there's no human who would just be like all right let's throw on some music uh no yeah no <laughs> so it, it it feels very american because the whole guy's ideal is like i'm gonna play this music at an absurd volume that we can't even tolerate just so that my neighbor will come down and i'll be like oh we'll play my goddamn music how yeah. i want you well you guys are both uninvited from Susa night this week mm -hmm. so fuck off <laughs> It's just Saturdays like, are back. I got a big laugh out of that scene just because it's it's like one of those it's things funny. that makes you like place yourself into that scenario. Like imagine going over to Sean's apartment and he's like, "Oh, let's uh, I'm going to throw on a record." Yeah, you'd uh, you'd just be like, "What the fuck?" Is 
I mean, I think that there is like plenty of that humor throughout the movie. It, it's it it's weird and like underscores the like descent. Um, it's not like you know cackling whatever. Um, it's much funnier than fearless vampire killers, which is yeah. where he's trying up, to be funny. Yeah, this is all up. subtle. The news it's just kind of like baked into a more serious movie. But yeah. anytime he's gone, I'm gonna make a funny one. It's like don't do that because then you're gonna get. Fearless Vampire Killers and what, which I don't think those are would be considered his strongest works. I don't. Some right. people love that shit. I am not among those people. Oh, no. I uh, I I don't know. This movie is see that. I guess that's why I'm a little more critical of his decision to cast himself in this is because I feel like he makes a great deal of brilliant decisions in this film, and it may very well be on a level with something like Rosemary's Baby if it had the correct lead <laughs> and it does not and it is not and that's a little unfortunate mm-hmm. to me because i think it's got so many great actually, things happening <laughs> i mean you 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 connected this to knife in the water and and sean you kind of thought it was you know more connected to repulsion but i really do i i just think it's yeah it's it's rosemary's baby but yeah they're what definitely if you, you recast rosemary as you know roman plansky in a dress which <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> kind of changes things without the um, without the partner who's like you know placating mm-hmm. uh, the yeah. Cassavetes character. Um, I yeah, it, I I am glad that I caught up with these three films because it's been a long time and they are blind spots. Um, but I I have to say uh, nothing. N- none of these really touch Rosemary's Baby or Chinatown of of this first period of his career. So what you're saying is that none of these are the best horror film ever made? I, I suppose I'll agree with that. <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah, it's, China, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, Chinatown was also just like, I, I, I think both of those movies are just working on a different level. And I mean, yeah, that's fine. He doesn't need to make the best movie ever, uh, best movie of the decade every time he goes out. But, um, but there's a disconnect <laughs> between us two and, and these three. Oh, absolutely. I am excited to watch, like, uh, specifically uh, some of his early 90s stuff, like Bitter Moon and and Death of the Maiden seem really interesting to me. Death of the Maiden's a cool little movie. I I really, I do think, uh, as much as he may be operating in that mode because he's exiled from many countries in the world, that he does a a pretty good job with these sort of uh, very intimate chamber play movies that he did a lot later in his career. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess if you're, if you're interested in Polanski and you haven't branched out past this kind of classic era, where do you, like, where do you go next? Like what's, what's the next level of Polanski after this? People seem to love Coming Bitter Moon. From, okay. Um, I actually, I haven't seen Bitter Moon and I'm not a fan of some of his later critically acclaimed work. I, did you see Gross Rider? I, I don't know. I haven't seen Ghost Rider. People like that one. I, I don't care to ever rewatch Penis. I thought it was good, but it is what it is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Cuff, uh, you've I, seen I, I Ghost think... Rider. We watched it at in Bakersfield. Uh, it's not well, clearly memorable. I remember it. Yeah, it's vividly. one of those movies that really what? slips right through the cracks. <laughs> Same thing about the Penis. It's like I, I saw it. I was like, yeah, that's that's pretty good. But I couldn't tell you a damn thing about it. What about Could Oliver Twist? Anything. Yeah, I feel like Death and That's the Maiden looking through here is, is probably the end of the line for things I give a shit about. So. 
Mm-hmm. Like then we get into Ninth Gate, which is just dreadful, and uh, yeah, uh, then I guess he gets back into sort of making prestige films for a few years, and uh, no, thank you. Right, not interested. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I guess you know we should probably wrap this up. So, Sean, you're the big guest this month, man. You're you're running the show. What are you putting over this week? What are you watching other than Polanski? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I I uh, was struggling between a couple of different things I was going to mention, but I I feel like I'm going to go with uh, a 1997 movie um, called Nowhere. Are you familiar with Greg Araki? Cuff. Yeah, yeah, he did living end right is that him yes and mysterious skin um, mm-hmm. yep my this can, is big like 17 18 year old steve cuff energy you're bringing right now okay like, cool um yeah living end was was earlier in the 90s and in mysterious skin i remember watching um when it came out around uh 2004 and not really it, it being like oh this seems interesting but i i can't tap into this um and if you're familiar with Greg Araki's work, you can imagine somebody not being tapped into to the feel of it. <laughs> but I watched Nowhere, his 97 film, and uh, uh, he his subject is kind of like like lost youth kind of thing. And uh, I, I thought this this was really cool, and like it's like super stylized and um, plays with a a milieu that you're very familiar with if you're our age, which is like the, the nineties high school, like end of high school, early college age. And like feeling like the world like has no place for you. And like, you know, you hate corporate greed type stuff. And also the aesthetics of like MTV and, um, and this, uh, you know, you know, this came out uh, the the year after Romeo and Juliet, and um, for instance, and I I just think it's much more interesting, and I I I really enjoyed watching it because it felt like it it made sense for me the aesthetics that that the three of us grew up with in terms of like that like '90s MTV style, like it actually kind of like mm-hmm. placed placed uh, the existence um, of these kids within that rather than just like, you know, being embroiled in it, like something like Boz Lerman's film is. Um, but nowhere. It, it's good. It's sad and it's funny. And, and um, it's a super small budget indie movie. Nice. Miles, what are you putting over this week? Uh, you know, I thought we didn't do these for the October episodes, but that's all right. <laughs> Uh, I'll put over a movie I rewatch for part of my stupid writing project preparation. Uh, an October classic, Night of the Creeps. It's kind of the uh, oh, yeah. real showcase for, for Tom Atkins. It's a blast. Uh, I don't know. Probably more people are familiar with that shitty, like, James Gunn reimagining sort of thing. Slither, but uh, it, it, it's mm. basically the same plot, except fun instead of just disgusting <laughs> it was quite cool cool movie yeah yeah uh, i do like that you you have a writing class and you're working on a project and you're like fuck i need to watch night of the creeps for inspiration that's beautiful yeah uh, well i'm i'm doing uh, an idea we've had for a long time about uh about aging horror stars and uh, the horror convention scene and uh 
Yeah, I, I need to, to binge some of these uh, big machismo uh, 80s leads. You, you know, doing uh, Bubba Hotep? Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'm going to watch that just to remind myself how not to, to pull off this. <laughs> we won't have any like butt-sucking mummies. <laughs> God. I just like, I, I constantly forget how old Tom Atkins is. I mean, he's ancient, but he's always looked ancient. So even going back to Halloween three and just watching him try to have this romantic connection with a woman who's like 20 and he's, he looks like he's 58. It's fucking awesome. What a silver Fox. God bless Tom. Atkins. Yeah. It's like Roman Polanski, uh, trying to bang, uh, Isabella. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this week I'm going to put over something that I, I, I don't know if I loved it, but I was just entranced by it. And I think everyone should watch this. Uh, and you, you might hate it, but I, I don't care. You need to watch it. Uh, watch the monsters, Rob Zombie's Ooh, yeah. the monsters. I'm, I'm going to watch that. It, it just came out on Netflix. It got completely buried. There was that weird trailer that got released. that looked like it was chopped together by a 12 year old. It, it like, it seriously looked like a shitty fan trailer. And then uh, Netflix hasn't, advertised it at all even when i logged in to watch it for a minute i thought it wasn't out yet because i couldn't find the damn thing but dig for it it's there it's you haven't seen anything like it before i can tell you that it's basically it's everything that rob zombie likes to do which is hang out with his buds and you know uh just kind of make little nods to horror things that he loves it's that again, but in a PG setting, and it's the monsters, and it is the dumbest humor in the entire world, and it looks gorgeous. Swear to God, one of the best movies you will see, or best looking movies you will see this year. Which is insane, because so, it has probably the worst looking trailer I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's unbelievable. It looks like you're... It, like it was, it looks like it was filmed inside of like a Spencer's Gifts or something. Everything is just weird, like black light poster lighting. It, it's crazy. Fucking love it. So yeah, watch the monsters. It'll be a fun, spooky thing for for you to do. And hey, you know what? It's our show, so I could put over as many fucking things as I want. So, Sean, I I think we should collectively, as Optimism Vaccine, why don't we we put over the extended clip reunion tour, the podcast uh. extended clip. Which is a triple crossover because, you know, you're on Optimism Vaccine. You also do Wiseman Podcast and you get to talk about Wiseman and uh, right. City Hall, right? On, right. Uh, on the new episode of Extended Clips. So check that out too. Another Please. podcast you should be listening to. Please do. You All won't, right. you won't well, be sorry. Yeah, you won't be sorry. And I mean, unless you, you hate Fred Wiseman and then I guess, uh, what are you doing with your life? And one well, of those gents like has guessed it on our show before, right? Yeah, Eddie. Eddie was here. Was it last October? Two October's ago. He was. He was part of the uh, the Sean Halloween spectacular. So, yeah, it's all, all part of the extended universe here. Anyways, uh, if you enjoyed the podcast today, that's great. Give us some money. We got a Patreon. You can go there and uh, yeah, become a patron, and you get access to all kinds of exclusive written and podcast content. And also, you get a movie in the mail. How fun is that for you? Assuming you live in the continental United States and not like. Guam or some shit. Uh, I will mail you a movie. Maybe you'll get a VHS tape. Maybe you'll get. Uh, maybe I stole a DVD from Sean's parents' house of all their home movies. 
of Sean, little Sean, with his with his little his thick little glasses running around in a diaper. And I'm just gonna send that to you. How fucking weird would that be? Sean has no way to confirm if I have actually done this or not, but I'd like I'd like him to keep thinking that I have. And uh, yeah, so we'll we'll send you a movie in the mail. That's fun. And then at higher tiers, you can have uh, special privileges like voting on future episodes, or even at the highest tier, you can actually choose once a year. You get to choose an episode for Optimism Vaccine to do. And how exciting is that for you? Probably pretty exciting. Uh, Myros, what are the names of our uh, our our Five dollar and above patrons. Uh, we have Kofax, Kropotkin, CWW, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. Look at that. Just just on the wall of fame here. Imagine that. You get your name read out on a podcast. Is there any higher honor? Sean, can you think of one? I was going to say knighted. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, we, we could add a new ca- uh, category, you know. That's always possible. Um... What? Sean's interesting too because he hates the British, but he loves the monarchy. Go ahead, Myros. I was just going to say, uh, very important to get back on the track with with talking about Polanski's incidents. Is I I had I, I made that Isabella Johnny thing as a callback to the Tenant, because I was like, why didn't we mention Isabella Johnny, a brilliant Polish actress, star of Possession, and uh, because it's Roman Polanski, you guys just thought I was talking about the 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 sick hot tub bullshit again, and uh, that's a damn shame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't catch the connection, so I just pivoted. <laughs> That's good. Little behind the scenes for you listeners here. Myros makes a crass joke that I ignore. <laughs> it wasn't, that wasn't actually crass. It was just about how she was uh, an inappropriate love interest for Roman Polanski in the tenant, as well as his inappropriate uh, love interest yeah. in real life. I yeah, I would argue any love interest for Roman Polanski is inappropriate. Like, look at the man. He's what he's got to be a solid five three, uh, slumping shoulders, just not very good posture. Anyways, uh, yeah, if you enjoyed the show today, uh, please donate. And if you don't want to give us money, that's okay too. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, or marriage proposals, optimismvaccine@gmail.com, or you can tweet at us at optimismvaccine, and someone might talk to you. Who knows? Probably, maybe not. Thank you.